0: Happy Friday, my cyber and crypto friends. Hope everybody's doing great. Today is March the 12th of 2021. And this is episode number 111 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions on this podcast are my opinions only and are not the opinions of my employer. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. So many things to talk about, not only in cyber, but definitely in cryptocurrency. Uh, We're gonna touch on NFTs if you haven't heard of those and what the heck they are and why people are spending so much money on these NFTs. We'll talk about that on the crypto side, of course. We'll also talk about prices and where the market seems to be heading And uh, some big influencers out there as well, like Mark Cuban and Elon Musk and what they're doing with crypto as well. And on the cybersecurity side of things, of course, more hacks and data breaches, uh, privacy related things, all kinds of fun stuff we're going to dive into today. So to start things off, probably one of the biggest cybersecurity news related topics right now today is the Microsoft Exchange zero day vulnerability and ransomware gangs are using this vulnerability to encrypt exchange servers and hold them ransom and this is getting very 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 scary Microsoft and all kinds of other companies are urging people to patch right away if you have on-premise exchange you need to run these patches like now (laughs) Uh, this is, uh, they're saying, they're they are seeing more and more attacks, I mean, they're just basically doubling, the attacks are doubling every two hours or so, they're saying. So if you still use on-premise exchange, and you haven't already heard about this, I'd be shocked, but uh, you really need to get this patch installed as quick as possible because ransomware guys are going to get you if you're not careful, so... They're saying the versions of exchange that are affected are exchange server 2013, 2016, and 2019. And this vulnerability allows attackers to steal the full contents of somebody's mailbox. And it does not require authentication and can also be exploited remotely. Some other details here of the various CVEs that are included in this. Uh, One is a server side request forgery One is an insecure deserialization vulnerability in the unified messaging service. Another one is a post authentication arbitrary file write vulnerability. Uh, There's actually two of those uh, file write vulnerabilities, essentially allowing the bad guys to write a file to any path on the server. So yeah, that's not good. If they can write to the server themselves and they can write a script, uh, who knows what else write their ransomware code out there and encrypt your server so these are big ones and if you have on-prem exchange now is the time if you haven't already to go ahead and patch and if for some reason you can't patch look at migrating to something else temporarily uh, until you can patch uh, this is just crazy crazy stuff that they're reporting or they're saying 30,000 organizations are already affected by this and it's just getting worse so be careful out there some other more fun news i guess you could say brave the makers of the brave browser are going to create their own privacy-based search engine to combat google so that's good news for us in the privacy world. So you do have to get on a waiting list right now if you'd like to check it out. And uh, I'll post a link to that in the show notes if you want to get on that waiting list. But I'm curious to see what what all, um, I mean, there's already DuckDuckGo out there, so makes me wonder what is going to be different and or better with the Brave search engine. And maybe nothing, but uh, it's worth checking out and seeing seeing what they come up with. I'm a big fan of the Brave browser itself, so hopefully their search engine is is just as good. All right, some more privacy-related stuff. Facebook, <laughs> of course, right? You knew that was going to be Facebook if it's privacy-related. Well, guess what? They have to pay out $650 million, which to them is you know probably a drop in the bucket, but uh, there's a settlement now for... What they're calling a privacy slash biometrics lawsuit. And essentially, this goes back to the facial recognition that Facebook was doing, the automatic tagging of photos that, that Facebook was doing. And people were claiming this is a violation of privacy, which of course it is. And so Facebook is having to pay out quite a bit of money there 650 million. Now, you know, all the people that are in this class action lawsuit. They're going to get a few hundred bucks, so not really a huge big deal there, but just more reason to not use Facebook. So uh, it's one of many privacy violations that, that Facebook has done. And, and who knew that they were doing this automatic tagging of, of faces and people? That right there is, is scary enough, and to do it without anybody's consent is also what's scary here. So, fun news for Facebook there. All right, some updates to the SolarWinds hack. I saw this the other day. NASA and the FAA are now also included in the list of uh, the long, ever-growing list of victims. So, the Biden administration also is has come out and said that they're going to Supposedly take some sort of action against Russia because we're pretty damn sure that's where the solar winds hack originated and who carried out these attacks. And since it now is leaking into government agencies like NASA and the FAA, the Biden administration is apparently taking that seriously. Curious to see what they'll do, if anything, to Russia, but I guess that remains to be seen. So... Just add a few more to that list there, and it's that list is still growing. And I think that list is just going to continue to get even bigger. What's interesting is out of all these companies that were targeted, CrowdStrike apparently was able to thwart the attack, as was Palo Alto. So gives you some ideas for some vendors that you may want to check out if you're in the market for next-gen antivirus or firewalls might want to check out CrowdStrike and, and or Palo Alto. Some other privacy related stuff here that I saw that this one was really interesting and I guess I'm not surprised with all these privacy browsers that are out now and you can install plugins and extensions in your browser to help make your browsing experience more private. So what some of these Tracking companies are doing and advertisers are now doing is what's called CNAME cloaking. So it's DNS based tracking evasion so this is a Pretty pretty sneaky little trick here, but it makes a lot of sense and you know, it's kind of a simple a simple way for these trackers and whatnot to still track you uh, even if you have a private browser so the marketing people are now using first-party subdomains as aliases for third-party tracking domains using these CNAME records in their DNS configurations. And this basically helps them circumvent all the tracker blockers and cookie blockers that are out there. And if you're familiar with DNS at all, a CNAME record is simply a way of mapping a domain or subdomain to another, right, using an alias. So that's what they're doing. and. Um, very simple tactic here but uh, this is certainly an interesting way and they're they're now evading a lot of these tracking anti-tracking and and cookie blocking technologies that are out there that are built into these browsers so heads up on that that'll be interesting to see how we (laughs) combat this now so just one more thing to to worry about on the privacy space all right. There was some other news about uh, Jones Day and them getting hacked, and they were using a tool called uh, Excellion. And Excellion was the company that got breached. And there is a longer list of people now included in that breach, not just Jones Day. Jones Day is a gigantic law firm out there, and uh, apparently, this the file system that they were using with Excellion was some old legacy stuff and they weren't keeping up with it really and here you go some of the other victims included in this uh, breach uh, new zealand central bank harvard business school australia's securities regulator uh, of course jones day uh, a rail freight company called csx and kroger the supermarket as well was included in that And uh, the last one on this list here is Washington State's Auditor's Office, where apparently personal data of up to 1.3 million people (laughs) were um, basically because of unemployment fraud. They were, Washington State was, had all these people under investigation for all the unemployment fraud that's going on out there right now. And uh, well, that that data was of course included in this and now is public. So so we're going to see more and more fallout from this as well. So it looks like SolarWinds and Accelion are two very big ongoing stories, and we'll see where those end up long-term here. But uh, certainly scary to see that. And it just goes to show that, you know, tracking all your third-party vendors is becoming more and more of a thing. And the, the hard part with at least in my opinion, with with third party risk management, vendor management, whatever you want to call it. The problem is so many people outsource so many things. Even if you outsource to one company, uh, let's say you outsource to Microsoft, for example, for your email. Well, Microsoft might outsource to a data center of some sort to store their servers. They might outsource contractors to come in and work on the systems and keep them up to date and patch them and all those kinds of things. So how far down the rabbit hole of vendors do you have to worry about when it comes to third-party risk management? Do you just worry about the primary vendor that you're doing business with that you have a contract with or do you need to go and and audit the vendor's vendors? (laughs) And then, you know, those vendors probably have vendors too. So do you go three levels deep? Do you go 10 levels deep? It's a never-ending game of cat and mouse, especially nowadays because so many things are cloud-based or outsourced. And it's tough because you don't know how far down that rabbit hole to go. One thing that I've been trying to do, at least, is with any vendor that I think is a higher risk... I will then dig into that vendor's vendors and go at least two levels deep if I can, if they will provide that information to me. But it's hard because, you know, some companies don't want to give away that information. They want you to think that they're doing it all themselves when clearly they're not most of the time, but they want you to think that they are. And that's where things get really, really hairy. So if they're, at least in my opinion, if they're a somewhat high risk vendor or definitely a high risk vendor, then you might go two or even three levels deep and try to audit that vendor's vendors and see who they use and where else your data might be kept because you know there might be a, a front end company that you're doing business with, but they may outsource to six or seven or eight or 10 or 20 different other companies. So the rabbit hole can go very, very deep when it comes to third party risk. And it's tough to keep up with, too. And and what do you do? Really, the the biggest mitigation is just knowing who those vendors are, knowing what data they store and how they store it, and then protecting yourself the best you can with insurance policies, typically. So I haven't really found any other way to to mitigate other than trying to host it yourself, which isn't always doable and can be much more... Uh, cost prohibitive but you know some people may choose to do that but if you can you know it's easier to outsource certain things you just got to keep up with you know who those vendors use as well because we're seeing more and more of these you know cyber attacks where they are it's third party risk you know they're coming in through solar winds and they're breaching nasa and the faa and all these other big huge companies or excelion who's storing data for Jones Day and all these other companies, so it's a never-ending rabbit hole, you got to be careful there. One other tidbit here, uh, I mentioned all the unemployment fraud that's happening, and we saw with Washington State, the auditor's office there, who was storing all this personal data of people on the Excellion servers. Well, there's one thing that you can do for unemployment fraud to help prevent it, and it's called planting your flag. And if you haven't seen or heard about this before, it's a pretty cool technique. Very simple to do. I actually saw it on Brian Krebs' website a long time ago, last year or sometime. And it's a very simple thing where you go to, you know, whatever state you live in. Uh, if you live in Kansas, you'd go to your state's unemployment website, you create your account, and during that account creation process, it verifies your identity. You have to give them your social and give them all this information. And they validate that, yes, that's you. Okay, you've established your unemployment account. You never have to actually file for unemployment. All you're doing is you're establishing the account under your real name and your social and all that good stuff, all your real information. That way, the bad guys can't go to the Kansas unemployment uh, website And if they've stolen all your information through, you know, the Equifax breach or whatever, and they have your social and they know what state you live in and all that kind of good stuff, they can go to that state unemployment site and try to create an account and file for unemployment in your name. So if you create that account ahead of time, these uh, state unemployment systems are not going to allow a second account with the same social security number. So this is how you can protect yourself. You go out to that state's unemployment site and you create your account and you sit on it. Now, with that said, don't reuse the same password that you use for everything else, for goodness sakes, because it will get breached and then they can then access that unemployment site if you use the same password. So make sure you use a unique password and Also, if possible, use a unique email address that you don't normally use. Create one just for that if you can. If you you go out to ProtonMail and set up an account out there. Anything you can do to not give them the most common email address that you use on every other site that you sign up for. And then definitely don't use the same password uh, that you normally use either. And if they have two factor, of course, enable that as well. Um, just to help prevent additional fraud there, but you're not only uh, protecting your employer, but you're also protecting yourself. Because if somebody files for unemployment in your name, not only does your employer, uh, excuse me, your employer get uh, hit with these claims and whatnot, and oftentimes employers will pay them not realizing, but it also hits you on your taxes. And so your taxes for the next for, or for that year are going to be a royal pain in the rear when you try to file them because you're gonna have this unemployment fraud and this unemployment uh, supposed income that you now have to report. Uh, so it's very, very painful to go through the process of uh, you know removing all that fraudulent stuff. And it's just a royal pain. And the state departments are getting flooded with these unemployment claims because of COVID. They don't know which ones are legit, which ones aren't. So if you go out there and you plant your flag, you create your account in your real name with all your information, and you just sit on that account, you don't have to file for unemployment, just sit on the account, the bad guys can't go out and create an account in your name. That is such a great technique. I didn't even think about things like that, but um, you know, I would also do it for, for other sites. But go out to places like Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, all of the credit bureaus. Plant your flag there as well. Um, Also freeze your credit while you're there if you haven't already. But plant your flag there. Um, If you're old school and you bank somewhere and you have not created your online banking account, go create the account with a secure password and just sit on it. Even if you never use online banking, great, good for you at least establish the account. That way a bad guy can't do it for you because if your account is not established and the bad guy has your social, he knows your address, he knows your email address and your phone number, well, they can go to that bank and establish the online account and then start transferring your money away. So you got to plant your flag in a lot of different places Um, Brian Krebs also recommended doing it at places like the IRS, the Social Security Administration, the DMV, I mean, you name it, um, USPS if you can. Um, USPS, he specifically mentioned the informed delivery service that the USPS has. Anything like that where you can plant your flag and just create the account, right? And just sit on it. You don't have to always use it. You don't have to ever use it, but just create the account so the bad guys can't do it in your name and steal your information and steal your money and create havoc on your taxes and all those other things. So go out there and create those accounts and uh, make unique passwords for each one. Uh, if you haven't already gotten yourself a password manager, you gotta do that too. And just keep all that information safe, You know, store it in a password manager. Uh, I've been really liking Bitwarden lately. Um, it is completely free and it syncs to all your devices. They do have a paid tier. It's 10 bucks, I think a year and basically does some dark web monitoring for you. But Bitwarden has been great. And um, I also use Dashlane as well for ease of use. It's a lot more, I'd say, user-friendly. So either one of those are great options. There are others out there, LastPass, 1Password, anything like that. Get yourself a password manager, plant your flag at all those places, and uh, make sure the bad guys can't do that for you. All right, I'll jump off my soapbox there, but definitely protect yourself any way that you can. All right, some kind of a crossover story here. Cryptopia, the cryptocurrency exchange was hacked. I believe it was in 2018, 2019, early 2019. And they basically had to shut down for quite a while and they were put into liquidation and they had about 170 million dollars um, in the exchange and over 2 million users, so on and so forth. Well, they got hacked again. How in the heck they don't learn from these things, I I will never understand. But Cryptopia got hacked again. They only stole $45,000 this time, which, you know, is still not good, but uh, I guess it could have been worse. Uh, during the second attack, apparently these hackers, they managed to access some sort of dormant wallet. Uh, apparently it had been dormant since the first hack in January. But anyway, just one more crypto exchange that gets hacked and they got hacked twice. So shame on them, right? But we can go down the list of exchanges that have been hacked. Poloniex was hacked in like 2014. Bitstamp was hacked in 2015. Bitfinex was hacked in 2016. Uh, Coincheck was hacked in 2018. So was Bancor and Zaif looks like. Then you have Cryptopia, DragonX, Bitthumb, Binance, Bitpoint. Upbit were all in 2019, and in 2020, Altsbit, Ederbase, and KuCoin were all hacked. So the total of all these hacks, $55 billion. Yes, that's with a B, $55 billion. That's crazy, right? I'll link uh, link to this story. It talks about each one of these exchanges and how much they were, uh, how much was stolen and all that kind of good stuff, but crazy amounts of loot there makes you wonder where all that money's going once it, uh, once they get hacked. So just goes to show that storing your funds in any kind of online system has its risks. So if you're getting into crypto, I would highly recommend to control your own private keys, any chance you can take. If you have large amounts of funds, take them out of the exchanges, take them out of Coinbase, put them into your own controlled crypto wallet that only you have the private keys for because you, know, you never know which one of these exchanges or online wallets are gonna get hacked next. And it could include your funds if you're not careful. So always, always, always control your private keys. If you don't control your private keys, you don't own that money essentially. So, make sure you've got your private keys for your money. All right. So, let's jump over to crypto. The big to do nowadays, it was DeFi. DeFi is still way up there, don't get me wrong. But right now, it's the NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And these are becoming extremely popular. There <laughs> this is crazy that people have paid this much money, but people are paying upwards of 60 or $80 million for video clips or for JPEG images, depending on what it is. And they're doing it all through blockchain technology and these NFT tokens, non-fungible tokens, and all the data stored on the blockchain, of course. So for example, the NBA has a big one out right now. It's called Top Shot. Uh, The website's nbatopshot.com um and they're doing all the licensed digital collectibles and all that kind of good stuff. So if you're interested in those, go out there and check that out, but it is going absolutely nuts right now. People are paying all kinds of money for these NFTs. And to me it's kind of crazy, but um you know, essentially you're you're owning part of I mean, so the NBA still owns the video technically, and yet you are purchasing some of the rights, I guess, to use that video potentially. Um, and it's kind of a one of one kind of thing. So they're not gonna release that video or sell that video to anybody else. So you've kind of got exclusive you know, exclusive rights to that video, to that digital copy of that video or image or whatever it is. It's it's still kind of weird to me that people would pay this much money for these. Uh, but there was a story about a guy, uh, a finance guy that paid Upwards of $175,000 for some NFTs, and now they're worth over $20 million. So it is crazy, and it continues to explode. I'm I'm assuming that other uh, big sports brands will start doing the same thing. Uh, NBA's got their theirs out right now, called Top Shot, and I'm sure that you know soccer and NHL, NFL will all follow suit here shortly. But uh, you basically pay for these NFTs. And if you turn around and sell your NFT to somebody else, the NBA would still get, I think it's, you know, a couple percent of whatever you sold it for. So the NBA still maintains full rights to it and they still get a cut when you sell it. So that's also kind of an interesting tidbit there. But you're seeing artists now create these NFTs uh, for artwork and photography and, I mean, you name it, right? Mark Cuban was on a podcast the other day with uh, CZ, the uh, Binance CEO, and it was interesting hearing Mark Cuban talk about NFTs and talking about crypto. I mean, I've never heard him say so many great things about cryptocurrency. Um, You know, everything that he was saying in the past was very much that it's not a store of value and that it's, you know all kind of a sham and blah, blah, blah. Well, he's really done a 180. Him and also Mr. Wonderful from the same Shark Tank show, they've both done a 180 on cryptocurrency. Um, Mark Cuban admitted that he owns some Bitcoin and some Ethereum and a few others. So definitely interesting stuff to see big name billionaires like that getting into crypto. And not only them, but uh, big name crypto or just big name companies like Tesla and You know, PayPal is now into crypto and there's just tons of others, too, that are uh, that are getting into it as well. BNY Mellon was also included in that of purchasing millions and millions in Bitcoin and just sitting on it, apparently. So Bitcoin is getting or just crypto in general is going through the roof. Uh, something to keep an eye on. Speaking of Binance, uh, Binance is creating their own smart chain to compete with Ethereum. Now, if you're in the DeFi space at all, you understand that the gas fees for you know getting into any of these DeFi tokens sometimes the gas fees are just insane. And as the value of Ethereum goes up, these gas prices also go up too. And you're you're paying tons and tons of money just in fees. So Binance. Is coming out with their own uh, smart contract blockchain and basically going to try to compete with Ethereum in the DeFi space. So that is something to definitely keep your eye on and and see where this this goes. I mean, they can if they can really keep up with Ethereum, that could be a that could be a game changer for DeFi, especially with lower fees and whatnot. Uh, you could see quite a bit of new DeFi tokens being listed on. Uh, BSC or Binance Smart Chain, they're calling it. So um, definitely something to keep an eye on if you're interested in the DeFi space. Uh, That's getting pretty big. So you can go check that out on Binance's website. Unfortunately for us folks in the US, a lot of the... DeFi related things are unavailable to us, especially through Binance. Uh, You can get on to Binance.us, but that's still only available in certain states. So there are a lot of restrictions there and it's definitely a pain in the rear. But uh, if you're somewhere where you can access these sites and create accounts and and do it legitimately, then certainly worth looking into that. Uh, I heard some other top traders out there talking about how they earned their money and how they're you know continuing to just double and triple their their money all the time they were talking about following some of the biggest cryptocurrency wallets out there to see what they purchase so using things like um oh there's these um block explorers for ethereum specifically for DeFi. uh one in particular is called dextools.io and you can go out there and you can Uh, follow a lot of these DeFi tools or DeFi tokens, excuse me, that are out there. And you can also see the big wallets that are out there too and see who's holding the most of which token. And from there you can say, okay, I'm going to follow whatever this gigantic portfolio, whatever this guy buys and sells, I'm going to buy and sell right along with them. So you're seeing a lot of that copycat kind of trading happening right now. know i've gotten on there i'm still a rookie in the DeFi stuff i was looking at dex tools uh, myself and there's just so much data to look at it is not easy to look at um definitely takes some some time to learn it all and to figure out what you're looking at and who to follow and things like that so certainly interesting way of trading though but to me that's a little a little scary because you're investing in something kind of blindly Without really knowing, you're just kind of following along with another big portfolio, hoping to you know catch the upswings that that they're that they're doing um, and invest in the things that they're investing into, hoping that maybe that bigger wallet knows what they're doing. <laughs> so there is some definitely some risk to that, but interesting way of trading. And uh, if you can get in and get out of these trades quick enough then you might be able to you know ride the waves right now uh, we're still in a bull market and this is definitely the time to ride those waves if you can and just try to you know hold on to your pants because it's going crazy right now you know we're seeing crazy prices from Bitcoin and ethereum and all kinds of others. Uh, Bitcoin right now is sitting at around 57100 uh, we've Kind of peaked out around 58000 That's That seems to be our peak here lately with Bitcoin. Um, so what's interesting, though, is there's a lot of other institutional investors that are getting into Bitcoin. So to me, that is creating a higher uh, floor, if you will, for Bitcoin. So with Tesla and b Mellon and all these like Mark Cuban and whoever else is getting into the, all these big name billionaires and massive companies that are getting into Bitcoin and just holding it that is creating a much higher floor uh, for Bitcoin. Uh, So you're probably not gonna see the price dip below. I don't even know what the floor would be, Uh, but it's certainly not gonna get down to $3,000 anytime soon, I wouldn't think. So as long as all these institutional investors still just continue to hold, that's gonna keep that value way, way up there. So something to think about when when you're getting into Bitcoin, Looking at all these big name players jumping in too, you can see that the the floor is much higher now. And you're you're probably not going to be able to buy a single Bitcoin for under, you know, let's say $30,000 anytime soon. Um, and it's just, they just continue. I see articles every day about another company's buying this. And, you know, we're seeing them buying millions and millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin just sitting on it. So if that trend continues, then it's definitely going to hold its value pretty well. So we'll see see how that all plays out. But I think uh, for me personally, and this is not financial advice, uh, so please don't take it as such. I'm still a very much a rookie at, at trading, but uh, with the Binance smart chain, I'm definitely looking into to holding onto some Binance tokens or Binance coins. Uh, BNB is the symbol for them. Uh, definitely something to look at long term, especially because uh, I do feel like if their smart chain takes off and I mean, you're going to have to create your chains through BNB and purchase BNB to create the tokens. So BNB will definitely go up in value, at least in my opinion, uh, over time. Um, I'm still holding on to Ethereum as well for the long term. Uh, I do think that over the next few months, we're going to see it pop up into the $2,500 range. Um, And I'm hoping that's within the next three months or so. It could even go way higher than that. I'm just kind of hoping for up into the 2000s a little bit. That'd be great. But uh, holding on to that long term as well as Bitcoin. uh, Those are kind of my three big ones. And I'm still kind of learning which other ones I want to get into. But um, those are my three big ones for now. Some other stuff, too. If you still if you were a crypto mining person like I was and you still have any of your video cards laying around, uh, the four gig video cards are pretty much useless now. But if you still have any eight gig video cards laying around, you can still mine for Ethereum and make a pretty damn good profit. Um, I unfortunately only have about three cards left that are eight gig, and uh, all my others were four gigs. But even with just those three cards, you know it's upwards of ten dollars a day, and that's on a very very small mining rig. So imagine if you tripled that or quadrupled that, how much you'd be making per day, and especially with the price of Ethereum being so high. Definitely making some good returns if you're back into mining again. Uh, the only downside to that right now is video cards are very scarce. And an eight gig video card right now, for an AMD, uh, like the RX 590 or 5800 or whatever they're calling it now, those are upwards of 800 to $1,000 now. And uh, that is just crazy, crazy money to spend on those. But <laughs> what's funny is in March of, or I guess it was probably mid last year uh, in 2020, March, April, May. That same RX 590 video card was selling right around 200 bucks. (laughs) Oh man, don't you wish you would have bought more. But uh, Ethereum mining will eventually go away when Ethereum 2.0 gets very, very big. And or um, your 8 gig video card might become obsolete as well once the Ethereum DAG size gets to uh, 8 gigs. So I don't think we'll be mining much past um i don't know i'd say 2023 for ethereum mining i think it'll eventually just completely go away because ethereum 2.0 will be out unless they just keep two separate chains and they may just do that too who knows but um either way investing in video cards right now may not be the greatest idea especially if they're 800 a pop but um you know if you can make i don't know 10 bucks 20 bucks a day or more, depending on how many cards you have. Maybe it's worth it long-term for the year, but I haven't done the math on it, but uh, just consider that Ethereum mining will eventually go away. And um, who knows about the price of Ethereum? It could tank again. I mean, it's all very much up in the air, of course, but certainly if you got some laying around still, might want to hook them back up, make a little bit of cheese. Um, I've noticed that um, I used to use the Claymore mining program and it no longer works. Yeah, you have to use something like, uh, like Nanopool has their own miner now, and there's another one called Phoenix Miner. You can use any one of those and uh, still continue to mine for Ethereum. But I had zero luck with Claymore. I don't know why. Uh, I just eventually switched over to Phoenix Miner personally. But anyway, it's all nuts right now, and it's still a bull market. But you still have to be very cautious and very careful, but I think overall it's looking quite good because of all these institutional investors getting in and really really raising that floor and you know holding that value in uh, in bitcoin so we will see how this plays out long term but anyway check out some of those uh, the binance uh, smart chain stuff that's that's pretty cool and um yeah just hold on to that crypto in your own wallet too own your private keys. Don't keep it all at Coinbase, especially if you're going to get a ton. I mean, if you have a few hundred bucks and you just don't care, then yeah, fine, whatever. Coinbase is great. But if you have a few thousand dollars or more, yeah, don't keep it there. Keep it in your own wallet. Keep it safe. All right, folks, that's all I got for today. follow me on Twitter. I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. At CyberCryptoGuy on Twitter. Check me out on there. I retweet a bunch of the articles we talk about here on the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon.